Hey everybody, it's Audrey Ellis and you're listening to Ask Audrey. Okay, so I'm on my way to work, but I wanted to get in my podcast before I leave because I have um, I switch with somebody else so I can come in a little bit later. Anyway, so today's episode that we're going to do is going to be, or that I'm going to do, I'm saying we, I'm like, who's my we? I guess it's like the other people in my head. I don't have other people in my head, I'm just kidding. It's just me and Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> This episode is going to be about the last, the fifth and final form of anxiety disorders, which is social anxiety disorder, also known as social phobia. Now, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, I can't say a bunch of S's. I don't know why. Association. I have to say it like really drawn out, really slowly. Association. Or is it association? I don't know. doesn't matter. Anyway, it's also um, ADAA. So if I say it that way, is that better? Anxiety and Depression Association of America, also known as the ADAA, they define social anxiety as intense anxiety or fear of being judged negatively. I'm sorry, fear of being judged, negatively evaluated or rejected in a social or performance setting. Now, these past couple of episodes, I've been talking about the other forms of social anxiety. And I kept saying, I don't think I've had the last one, the social anxiety part. I don't think I've had that one. I've had every, everything else but that one. But when I look back on my life, I realized I did have social anxiety as well. I didn't realize what it really was. I thought that it was, it was just the fear of being around people. And I'm like, that's not me. I love being around people. At the same time, I hate people sometimes. But it's not because of them. It's just because sometimes I need to like rest and recharge and like get my energy back before going back into the, the crowd, into the group. So I love people. And I was like, I don't think I've ever had that because I'm, I like blossom and I flourish around people. But when I was in grade school from, I want to say it was about junior high school through high school. Those were the years where I suffered from social anxiety disorder and I didn't even realize it. But looking back, I can see that now because um, the ADAA.org website, it says that people with social anxiety disorder may worry about acting or appearing visibly anxious or like blushing or stumbling over words or being viewed as stupid or awkward or boring. Now, if you talk to my mother, she knows that I struggled with that. Like even well into my early 20s, I struggled with those different things. Even learning how to be around people, I still felt, I was like I was forcing myself to be around people and get over the social anxiety. But I still felt like I was awkward and boring and people would see, you know, just how uncool I was. So when I think back on junior high school, I remember my older sister, she was two years ahead of me and she would go to all the school dances and she would have just like any house party that friends were throwing, any type of social gathering. She was just down to go. She was ready to go. And I noticed that I had cousins like that. My mother was like that. They were just ready to go to the club before they got, you know, before they became of age to go to a club. They were all just like scratching at the door like a dog trying to get out the house to go to all these, you know, illegal underage gatherings or all these house parties and things like that. And most people in my family are like that. They're like, they can't wait to throw a party. They can't wait to go to a party. They're like, oh, this party ain't happening. This party ain't hot. This party ain't popping. It's not whatever the term was for the generation that we're referring to. But just when I look around, most of my family members are like that. They just love to party. And I didn't, I always felt that I was different and awkward and I always thought that I was weird, but I never realized that it was actually social anxiety disorder because when it came time for, um, school dances my mom and my dad and, and relatives would ask 
how come you don't go to the school dances? And I'm like, hmm, I just don't want to. I don't, I don't know how to dance, which isn't true. Like people who know me know that I do know how to dance. I just was afraid that because I w- I'm so tall and I was so tall in junior high school, I was afraid that my movements would be viewed as awkward and funny looking and just bumbling because I had these long legs and long arms and I just was afraid that I was going to be judged negatively as in the definition of social anxiety dis- disorder. So all this time, even up to 30 years old, I didn't realize that that's what that was. I thought I was just trying to avoid awkward situations. I never realized that, you know, it was classified as a form of anxiety. I would avoid, you know, just anything that would make me, that I thought would make me look stupid. That's probably why I avoided dating. I mean, sexual abuse has something to do with avoiding dating all this time, but I think on top of it, it's also the anxiety because I didn't mention it yesterday, but a lot of anxiety disorders can be linked to childhood traumas, including sexual abuse and physical abuse during your um, your formative years. And so that includes OCD. All of these different anxiety disorders have had, according to research from the Psychology Today article that I read and from the um, Anxiety and Depression Association of America and the National Institute of Mental Health, all these different websites said that most of these um, anxieties can be linked directly to a child having experienced or an adult having experienced something traumatic in their childhood. And oftentimes it would be physical or sexual abuse or other traumas too, not just those two. So when I think about it, my, you know, overly critical and overly judgmental, you know, thought process towards myself probably came from experiencing what I experienced. I mean, if you've been sexually abused, oftentimes you feel like everyone knows it and everyone's looking at you and everyone can see something's weird about you and everyone can, you know, just tell that, you know, something happened. It always feels like you're just wearing it on your forehead or wearing it on your sleeve or it's just visible and you kind of become introverted and you cover yourself up very much so that people can't read you. People can't tell, you know, that something happened because it's embarrassing when people find out initially until you take the power and start to admit it yourself. So I I even, I mean, it was so bad in junior high school, this social anxiety disorder. I didn't even go to my prom. And I have people who asked me to go to prom, people who I worked with because I had a job when I was a teenager. So people who I worked with wanted to take me to my prom. My relatives wanted to pay for me to go to prom, my uncles and aunts. And, you know, everyone wanted me to go to prom. But I was so afraid of just being seen as awkward and, you know, being once I put on heels, being taller than my date. My date is the same height as I am until I put on heels and I'm taller. And all of a sudden I'm like, I don't want people to see that and laugh at me and judge me. I'm having nightmares about, you know, what people might say if I actually put myself in that in that predicament, in that situation. So I just avoided anything that would draw attention to me. And that, I realize now, is social anxiety disorder. So, yeah, pretty much I've had all of them. Oh my goodness. I thought I was like, just four out of five, so I'm not so bad. But it's not a bad thing. If you've had anxiety of any form, I feel like, you know, just owning it is better than trying to avoid it or discredit you know certain forms of anxiety that you've struggled with you know own it all we're not crazy we're not off we're not weird we just we have our reasons and we have to be compassionate with ourselves we have to be a little bit more you know kinder and tender towards ourselves as opposed to allowing what other people think of us control how we think about ourselves because most people would say that we're crazy you know if we are if you're anxi- if you're anxious you're crazy because they don't understand the thought patterns and the thought process that goes on in the mind of an anxious person they think it's just a bunch of drama. You're just being dramatic. That's what my mother used to tell me. Oh, Audrey, you're so dramatic. You're so dramatic. And I'm thinking, I'm not trying to be. And so I just started to say, I'm just dramatic. That's all. And I even say that now. Like, it still is a part of my speech. And I try not to. But 
you know, old habits die hard. But the most important thing for me is to try and be a little more understanding of my situation. It's not my fault that I was sexually abused. It's not my fault that it had the effect on me that it has. It's not my fault that I've developed anxiety. I didn't ask for anxiety. I didn't ask to, you know, struggle with these issues. I didn't ask to be sexually abused. But I had to accept life the way it is and try to move forward and gain strength from it. So that's what I'm doing. It's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast and why I've decided to, you know, start talking about mental health because a lot of times, you know, mental health is so stigmatized. I hear people at my job, whenever we have customers or guests who come up and the customer or the guest requires or requests a lot of different accommodations for, you know, using our business, the most of my employees or most of my coworkers will say, oh my gosh, she's so needy. Oh my gosh, she's crazy. Oh my gosh, she's so bipolar. Oh my God. There's always these, you know, negative and derogatory terms that are thrown at people who need a little more attention, a little more, you know, compassion, a little more um, accommodations in order to stay with us or to, to use our business. And most people don't have the, the time to, to, you know, to listen and to care and to be concerned for them. Most people are, are just like, oh my God, get away from me. But my dad used to always say, how, whatever you say about other people and whatever names you call other people, that's how you really feel about yourself. So whenever I hear people saying things about others who have mental health issues or who seem to have anxiety or anything in that realm, whenever I hear my coworkers saying things about them, I think to myself, and I watch them, and I kind of see, do they behave the same way in certain settings? And I realize that they do, and I'm like, my dad is right. When they're throwing those words, bipolar, crazy, you know, ridiculous, needy, you know, special, extra, when they throw those words at the customer and at the guest and they, they judge them harshly, I realize that it's how they feel about themselves because they have the same behaviors, they have the same demeanor, they have the same thought process, but it's kind of like deflecting. You know how like the class clown when you're in high school and junior high school, if you pay attention to whoever the class clown is, oftentimes the class clown is someone who has some type of like um what should I say, like a shortcoming. It could be a chubby person, even though chubby's not bad, but in society's view of things and in society's standpoint, chubby is bad. You know, fat is bad. And so they could be chubby. If they're African American, they might have dark skin, and even though dark skin is gorgeous, it's beautiful, you know, society says that it's not. They could be a person with um, some type of disability. Maybe they have a limp. You know, even as a kid, you can have certain disabilities that are readily visible to your, your, your peers. Before your peers are able to start teasing you, you just become the class clown and give them a reason to kind of deflect and kind of not paying attention to your, not paying attention, I keep saying paying, not pay attention to your shortcomings and start paying attention to the shortcomings of others. So you become that that sounding board to point out everyone else's shortcomings so that no one will focus in on yours. And I feel like that's what people do when they throw those you know insults and those derogatory terms at people who have mental health issues. It's because they don't want you to see whatever their struggles are. They want to be the one to stand on this like high horse and this platform of like BS pretty much trying to make people think that they're perfect and everyone else around them has the problem. But if if you or if you ever come in contact with people like that, you got to watch them. Don't let it make you feel bad. Don't let it make you feel judged or make you feel less than because oftentimes if you watch that person, my mother used to tell me that part. My dad used to say people, you know, say how they feel. Whatever they say about you is how they feel about themselves. And my mother used to say people ain't shit. I'm sorry. That's what she said. She said people ain't shit. And if you pay attention to them, and you watch them, they have some of the same problems you have, they have some of the same issues you have, and sometimes even worse. And if you really pay attention, you'll find out that they ain't no better. Maybe they are worse than you, maybe they're not, but they ain't no better than you. That's exactly how she said it to me. So that's part of what helps me with anxiety and part of what helped me to throw myself into social settings 
once I graduated high school. For some reason, during junior high and high school, it was just too difficult for me to break out of my shell because it's, it's tough. Like there's a lot of judgment and it's very harsh and it's been that way since the beginning of time. So, you know, it's hard to say, go ahead and break out of your shell and, and do whatever you want to do and who cares if people judge you because on top of judgment being so high and so rampant in, you know, junior high school and high school, your emotions and your hormones and your thought process as a teenage, a teenager, and even a young adult up until like 24 to 27, it's still very immature, very underdeveloped. So it's hard to process things with such a mature point of view to be able to say, I know why they're teasing me because they're being teased at home. Or I know why they're teasing me because they feel the same way about themselves. It's hard to say that. It's hard to know that. So, you know, sometimes you have to just wait for the day when you'll be able to break out. And that's what I did. You know, I struggled with social anxiety all through school and it was kind of depressing. We'll get to depression in another series, but it was kind of depressing. But I made the best of it. I tried to find the good things in life. The good things in life for me were my friends at home. My neighborhood friends were like my, you know, soft place to fall. They were my saving grace. They were just like, you know, my peace. It was like family. So I knew that school may not have been fun with all of the ridicule for being so tall and having big feet and, you know, all kind of stuff. It may not have been fun, but and being chubby and having crooked teeth, like all the things I got teased about. It wasn't fun, but I had to find something to help me hold on, something to help me you know, feel strong and help me feel balanced so that I could just count the days and wait for the day when I will become free from that situation and be able to really spread my wings and fly in the proverbial sense, you know. So held on by using my, you know, neighborhood friends and then I made a decision. I said, when I get out of high school and I start working and I get out into this world, I'm going to make a choice to be who I really am, who I really want to be, which is a confident person who loves herself and who is strong and who is unbothered by the ridiculousness of other people so I made that my mission and I forced myself into social settings forced myself to mingle with people despite how much my hands would sweat and my lip would sweat and how like my body temperature would raise I forced myself because in putting myself in the situation it helped me to actually see from experience repeated experience that my social anxiety wasn't really necessary I wasn't in any danger if someone said something negative about me it wasn't going to kill me right there on the spot like literally it wasn't going to kill me but anxiety can make you feel that way like if someone calls you a name you'll just drop dead on the spot it, it's irrational but it feels that way sometimes and so over the years I forced myself around people and next thing I knew I became a social butterfly and now if people meet me they will never believe I used to be shy and introverted they, I tell people that all the time and they just don't they think I'm lying and I want attention but I'm being so honest but it was a choice I made to try and break through and I remember reading in that Psychology Today article and on the National Institute of Mental Health it says that sometimes you know throwing yourself into a situation certain group therapy or certain um, therapy sessions will require an activity that's similar to that where you have to throw yourself it's like exposure um, it's like I forgot what the name of it is, but it's like an exposure uh, practice, like exposure practice where you, whatever you're afraid of, they have to just put you in the scenario so that you can see there's nothing to fear. And so I never had therapy for that, but like I said, I talk to God all the time, and I feel like He guides me to do things. And then later I find out, oh, that's a real thing. I'm like, okay, good luck now, God. Thank you. I didn't know that was a real thing that you know therapists and psychiatrists had discovered, but you know where did they get it from? From, in my belief, in my opinion, you get it from God. He's the one who gave that, you know, that knowledge to them. So before I ever had therapy, God just showed me to do that, just told me to just get out there. You know, we don't have fear. We don't have timidity. Get out there and just do it. It may seem scary, but over time you'll learn there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Like I 
am afraid of getting afraid because fear stops you from doing what you want to do. So I get that saying more now than ever. Nothing to fear but fear itself. You should fear fear because when you're afraid, it stops you from doing the things that could help your life become more enhanced and more you know, enjoyable. So anyway, we're running back a little bit. I kind of go on little tangents and little rants here. But after causing myself to get out into certain settings, even though I was still a little bit afraid in my late teens and early 20s, I just kept doing it. And one thing that helped tremendously for me was taking an improv class in college. And in the improv class, I was very shy and very quiet. And my teacher said, oh my goodness, you're really a great actress, but you know what? You're also a terrible actress. And I said, why? And they said, because you're too quiet. You can be loud and awful and the crowd will still respond to you. But if you're quiet and good, how will anyone ever know? And that resonated with me, not just for the improv class for acting, because acting is not what I do, but it resonated with me in life. How would anyone ever know what I have to offer if I'm just so introverted and so quiet and so shy? So I had to take that into consideration and continue to apply the skills that I've learned, you know, in talking to God and going to improv class and then just, you know, trying out different things. I took the, the different skills that I learned and different information I was given and just kept pushing myself. And like I said, now, I think I realized I was a social butterfly when I hit about 24 or 25, around that age, I realized that there's nothing to fear. Like for sure, it was finally like embedded in me permanently. And I realized there really is nothing to fear when it comes to dealing with people in public. Cause it's only if you give weight and importance and validation to the negative things people say about you, if you do, then of course you're going to continue to fear it. But if you start to realize that they don't, that no other person has the right to judge you and put you down and make you feel down on yourself, when you realize that their words don't really matter unless you make them matter. I feel like, who said that in the song? Was it Janae Eichel? You weren't special till I made you so. In that song, um, The Worst, I think the song's called The Worst. Janae Eichel said, you weren't special until I made you so. I feel like it's still in that, it's like in that same vein. Their words shouldn't matter. The negative things people say shouldn't matter unless you make it matter. You have the power to make it matter or to not. So if you decide, I don't care if you call me crazy, you're crazy too, then who's right or who's wrong? Which one has more weight? And for me, what I say has more weight. What I feel about myself has more weight as opposed to what other people feel about me. Of course, I have my days where, you know, if too many people are just acting weird with me and treating me, you know, like, you know, poorly, like, oh, you think you're so cute or you think you're so this, sometimes it'll weigh on me, but I have to continue to remind myself it only, it only matters because I let it matter. And so it's a practice that I have to keep going. I doubt it'll ever end, but I'm willing to do that just to make sure that I feel good and I don't go back into that socially awkward, socially anxious place. Now, it's not an easy thing to break from. It's not an easy thing to stop. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of trying. And sometimes it'll take a group therapy session where you're surrounded by people who look like you and act like you and, and think like you so that you can start to practice this in a setting where you feel normalcy. Because if you try it in a setting where, I mean, even though I did, I tried it in a setting where other people didn't know I was socially awkward and socially anxious. That was just because that's what I had to do at the time. I didn't have therapy or the ability to go to a mental health professional at that time. I was 18, no insurance, no nothing. So I had to do it that way, just me and God. But for those of us who do have the ability and do need to seek out a mental health professional, a mental health professional, that's okay. Because now that I've done that in my late 20s and you know now that I'm 30, I realize that if I had that when I was 18, it probably would have made the change faster and easier to be surrounded by those who understand me in a deeper and more meaningful way. So I feel for 
for people who are going through what I've gone through, I've gone through damn near every single, no, not damn near, let's, let's be honest, girl. I've gone through every single type of anxiety disorder that has been listed and mentioned and officially noted by, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists. And I'm okay with that in the sense that, I, like I said, I had no control over how it developed. Life happened and the situation formed, but I do have control over how I try to manage it as I go on every single day. So I definitely wish the best to anyone out there who's struggling with any and every type of anxiety that there is out there. I wish the best. I hope you find some help. I always say if you have to do something at home on YouTube first, go for it. Whatever works for you. And if you don't feel that you can do it just yet, that's fine too. Because only you know your timing for when, you can, when you're ready to get help and when you're ready to, to change things. And if that never comes, that is your choice. And you should never feel bad about that. You live your life the way you're most comfortable. And don't let anyone people don't let anyone make you think that your life is not valuable or you're not worthy or you're not good enough because you haven't or you're not able to change. It is okay. Take a breath and know that it's okay. All right. But I definitely hope that something or someone out there, if you desire to have a different life from the overly anxious life that you may have, I definitely hope something out there or someone out there will be able to encourage you in that direction of getting help. But anyway, oh my gosh, I'm doing so good. I was like so tempted to be OCD today. I was so tempted to stop at like 20 minutes on the dot, but I'm letting it run on because you gotta make efforts to break habits, right? Anyway, and thank you all so much for listening and I hope you listen again tomorrow. Oh crap, it was it was on, it was like 21.30. I can't let it end like that. I'm trying to let it end uneven. Okay, I don't wanna become obsessive about that now. So let's just let it be natural. Have a good day, y'all. Thank you.